a little while and you will see me no longer. Again, a little while and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, what is this that he says to us? A little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me. And because I'm going to the Father. So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he's talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him. So he said to them, is this what you are asking yourself? What I meant by saying a little while and you will not see me again. And again, a little while and you will see me. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish. For joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. Let me pray for us again. Father, we pray you'd bless the preaching of your word and you would use this to strengthen your church. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, in these brief few verses, um, verses 16 through 19, is only four verses, but the phrase a little while is, is used seven times. And, um, you know, one of the things that made me think about when I was thinking about a little while, this is on the front of end of Jesus will soon go to the cross and will soon uh, be killed and, and buried. And uh, I was thinking when I was a, a child growing up, my dad would take me hunting and, you know, uh, he would either, you know, leave me in the stand that I was in or he would leave me beside a tree and he'd be like, I'll, I'll come back and get you at dark. And, uh, you know, as a child, you know, you're uh, 10 or 12 years old and uh, it, it's fun to begin with. But as the darkness begins to approach, you know, your, your little mind runs to and fro. And uh, as you're waiting for your dad to come back and it's getting darker and darker. And uh, it seems anything but a little while, you know, as you wait as a child in the approaching darkness. And I'm reminded even this week, my, my little brother was uh, in our hometown and <clears throat> he'd gone in a store and uh, to, get, uh, to get something. And while he was in the store, uh, the doors began to shake and, and quake. And uh, a tornado basically was coming over and the little girl from behind the counter ran and locked the doors. And when she did, it sucked the windows uh, out of the place that he was in. And he, uh, he sort of broke and ran and jumped out the window and got in his truck. And as he cranked his truck, it, it sucked the back windshield out of his truck. And uh, so he, he eventually sort of got away from the, the tornado and stuff. But at that particular moment, I mean, those, those times, you know, it, um, even though it was probably just a matter of about 30 seconds, it felt like a very, very long time. And, um, and so anyway, anytime the scriptures use sort of that little, that little phrase, uh, a little while, it's often used in, in suffering. In First Peter 1, 6, it says, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you've had to suffer grief of all kinds. And then in 1 Peter 5.10, it reads, And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong and firm. 
And then we have that great promise in 2 Corinthians 4.17. says, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that, that far outweighs them all. And in the ESV, you know, it, it, it purposefully, um, you know, compares light affliction, but heavy and weighty glory. And so we have that as from God's word, that the truth that, you know, that even in Jesus' death, it, it was just going to be a little while. And even in our suffering, it's so momentary. And the scriptures even say light. And we know that's a truth from God's word. We know that's what the scriptures teach. Uh, we know that's what Jesus teaches. But in our experience, in our experience in life, uh, in, in, in the world that we walk through, uh, grief and trials and hardships and pain, uh, the way we experience them, they just don't seem light. Uh, they don't seem momentary. Um, you know, I think about uh, John Bunyan, um, the author of Pilgrim's Progress and Grace Abounding the Chief of Sinners. He spent uh, 12 years in prison because he would, he would not stop preaching. And so he was, uh, he spent 12 years of his life in prison. And when you think about that, uh, you don't think light and momentary. And, uh, and then when you put into perspective that his wife, Elizabeth, uh, was pregnant at the time that, she, that he was put in prison and she had four children and the one that was on the way. And, um, and one of the child, one of the children was blind. Um, you know, the things that come to your mind, the, the thoughts that come into your head are not uh, light. It's not like momentary. It's like, man, that's, that's heavy. Uh, that's weighty. Uh, and she would end up miscarried, carrying the, the child that she had. And um, like I said, when, when, you, when you ponder those kind of things and you ponder your own experiences in, in life, words more like heavy <laughs> and weighty, and, and maybe even relentless, uh, like the things that come at us in this world are, are just relentless and, uh, and, and never ceasing. And so again, this, this teaching that Jesus brings to us um, takes place um, probably a little less than 24 hours before his death and, and burial, and it's meant to inform us. It's meant to inform and prepare and equip his disciples for what would soon come. Um, and so these, this promise is also uh, meant to equip and prepare us and equip us in, in our time as well. And so I think the thing is, is that, you know, Jesus's disciples didn't need a pep talk. And, uh, and we as God's people, uh, we don't need a pep talk, um, you know, during this time of coronavirus or during the time of death uh, of loved ones or suffering. Uh, but what we need is we need to be rooted deeper uh, in our experience and deeper in our understanding of the gospel. And, um, and so I think, uh, you know, oftentimes um, when we hear that, that Christ, you know, wanted to root them deeper in their experience and understanding the gospel. And yet, you know, this promise, God's promise uh, of, of indestructible joy uh, it doesn't downplay suffering. Uh, like even though Jesus understands uh, he's about to go to the cross, it's going to be devastating to his disciples, and, uh, and they need to be rooted and grounded in, in what it means to hope in the gospel. 
it, again, it doesn't downplay suffering. It doesn't deny the brokenness in our world. Uh, it doesn't try to trivialize uh, the tears uh, or minimize the losses or the crosses uh, that, we, that we face. In fact, verse 20 reads <clears throat> like this. It says, truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep. In other words, you're going to shed some tears and you're going to lament. There's going to be some deep, heavy hurt. But the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy. And so I just think for us as, as people in this world, we too are going to experience you know, suffering. Uh, we're going to experience the brokenness that the world has to offer. And, and God's promises, the good news of the gospel, the good news that our joy is forever uh, protected by Christ. It doesn't, it doesn't downplay the hurt. It doesn't deny the brokenness. It doesn't trivialize, um, you know, the hurts that we experience as God's people. But it makes us ask the question, you know, how can sorrow give birth to joy? Um, how can life, you know, when you think about Christ's death and his resurrection, how can, how can death uh, produce life? And, um, and, and how, can a, how can life arise out of death? And so, um, you know, Jesus gives his disciples this, this illustration in the scriptures in verse 21, and it's the illustration of childbirth. And, uh, you know, in the midst of, of, of giving birth to a child, uh, the, the woman is anything, um, you know, but comfortable. I mean, there, there's pain and there's agony and there's this anguish that's going on. And, uh, but yet as the baby comes, that anguish and that sorrow is, is swallowed up, uh, is swallowed up in the treasure of the child. And Jesus gives his disciples that illustration uh, to help them understand that as he, as he goes and as he'll be gone for, for, for a brief time, uh, that it's going to be a heavy and a weighty time. It's going to be a, a time of, of many tears. It's going to be a time of much lamenting. It's going to be a time of many questions and, and not understanding. And, and their experiences is very much like ours as we walk in this world and as we live in this world. Um, there are a lot of tears shed um, on planet Earth. There's a lot of lamenting and a lot of weeping and a lot of sorrows. And there's a lot of questions that we as, even as God's people and God's children that we have in, um, in trying to understand uh, fully, you know, um, how the gospel speaks into these, into these situations. And uh, so what I want us to do this morning is I want you to, I want you to soak in and I want you to sit in and I want you to, I want you to chew on and digest and savor what verse 22 says to us. And, uh, and as you soak and let this soak into the deep crevices of your heart um, in your minds, I just pray it begins to transform, um, you know, our thoughts on suffering and how we, how we walk through it, how we envision even that day when tears uh, will forever give way to joy. And I, I want to read it to you. Again, verse 22 says this, So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, 
and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. And when you hear that, I want you to, I want you to receive that not uh, as words from your pastor, uh, not as a promise uh, from the guy who's preaching to you today, but I want you to receive that uh, from the mouth of the eternal God, uh, from the creator of the world, uh, from the one who suffered and died on a cross in our stead, from the God who brings life from death, from the God who takes water and turns it into wine, uh, the God who takes those who are crippled and brings wholeness, uh, to the God who can bring light from darkness, uh, who can make saints, can make sinners into saints, and take the demon-possessed and make them disciples. I want you to hear that promise uh, from his mouth, that he promises that he will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take that joy from you. And I want that promise, I want that promise to, to echo, you know, in your ears. Um, as you get up and as you sit down and as you walk along the road, as the scriptures say, and as you rest, I want you to speak that promise to yourself. Uh, I want you to meditate on that promise. I want you to take second by second and minute by minute and hour by hour until that particular promise becomes a part of your spiritual DNA. It just becomes a promise that you go to time and time again, and it's just seared into your heart, uh, it's seared into your conscience, and you understand what that promise says to you and what that promise says to the pain and suffering that you'll experience. Um, and the reason that is, is because we all know, um, e even now during this pandemic, we know that the winds of suffering are going to pick up in each of our lives. We know that, um, you know, and, and uh, we know that those winds are going to come. And it's promises uh, like this that keep us uh, from being blown away, that keep us from um, being overcome and uh, keep us from uh, being swamped and, and sunk in despair. It's these kind of promises that God gives us that he wants us to build our house on, uh, that he wants us to rest in and, and to meditate and think on. And, uh, and the, reason, the reason we have a promise like this and the reason we need promises like this from the scriptures, you know, we live in a fragile world. Um, you know, we, we know that especially right now. I mean, um, you know, uh, our bank accounts are fragile, our health is fragile, uh, our jobs, our lives, our families. Uh, I was even thinking today about my own family and how none of my grandfather's uh, generation uh, in his family are alive. And uh, in my dad's family of 10, there's only half that generation that's still alive. And so we just live in a fragile world and in a world that is just um, easily broken. And we also live in a fallen world, uh, a world that's full of death and disease and tragedy and evil and justice. And, uh, and, and we also live in a fraudulent world, uh, a world that promises things that it can't give. And so we need, if we're going to live and experience uh, life the way Christ does, we need these promises, uh, promises like this to rest on, uh, 
Um, because again, we, we live in a fragile world. We live in a fallen world. Uh, again, we live in a world that, that promises things that it cannot uh, come true, come through on. And, um, and so this is one of those promises that's big enough, um, you know, uh, to lift the weight of our suffering from our shoulders. That this promise is, is big enough to, to lift the, the sin and the struggles that we have here uh, instead of being crushed by it. And sometimes that's how we feel that our, our sin uh, or just death or just our struggles in life are just crushing us. And it's, it's a promise like this from Jesus that comes in and it just lifts that weight uh, off of us and it, and it gives us uh, relief and it keeps that particular weight from crushing us. And, uh, and Jesus comes in he, and he basically tells us that instead of the brokenness, that he's going to give us fullness. That instead of the brokenness that we're experiencing now, Jesus promises fullness. And instead of the fragileness, we're going to get a solidness. Instead of the fragileness that we're experiencing now and the suffering, God's, Jesus promises that he's going he's gonna to sure up, that he's going to bring a solidness into our lives one day. And, uh, and that our deception, the deception of the world, will be swallowed up in certainty. And as I was thinking about this, I was thinking that, you know, as Christians, um, you know, if you, if you don't have these, if you don't have this particular promise as a person, um, you know, the promise that uh, God's going to, um, you know, redeem suffering, that he's going to heal the brokenness, that he's going to bring a fullness and a solidness uh, one day that we can't imagine then there's only a couple roads you can go down. One is you just become cynical um, about everything or you just have to fake it. And I think sometimes as a, as a young believer, I couldn't reconcile like all the suffering in the world and, and, and you know, how I was supposed to respond to it and the, and the passages on joy. And so you either have to fake it or you have to grow cynical or you just sort of get into despair or, suppress your feelings where you you just don't feel anything and so the gospel allows us as people to remain uh, green and alive and true and real and um and the way it does that is it says look your, your suffering is real your your tears are real your your lamenting is 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 a right response to life sometimes and yet Jesus is like, but it's not hopeless. It's not a hopeless lamenting. It's not a hopeless tears. And I want you to remember that I'm going to see you again. I'm going to see you again. And I'm going to take that lamenting. I'm going to take that suffering. I'm going to take all that incompleteness. And I'm going to bring complete satisfaction. And so we as Christians, we don't have to be hollow. We don't have to be fake. We don't have to deny sadness. We don't have to... Uh, act like we have it all together. It's okay to weep. It's okay to have sorrow. It's okay to, to cry. But just as we, as we enter into those things, we, we recognize and realize that, that Jesus is going to transform those things into life. Um, and so this morning, I just, I just want to commend Christ to you anew and afresh. Uh, church, I know we're in a very strange time. And uh, I just want you to know that um, we serve the risen Savior. Uh, we, we serve the King of kings and the Lord of lords. 
and he's going to bring fullness. He promises a full-term birth, and he guarantees that. He, God guarantees a full birth to creation one day, that he's going he's gonna to make all things new. Um, you know, and he also promises a full and guaranteed birth to his people, um, that we as God's people are going to experience the joy and delight that he promises. And so I want you to hear Romans 8, 18 through 25 as we, as we sort of come to a close here. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption of His sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not have yet, we wait for it patiently. And sometimes I think that we forget the brokenness of our world. Um, I think we get so caught up in life that we forget the creation is groaning, that we even, we even sort of sometimes mask over our own groanings in our own souls. And, uh, and I want you to know that we don't have to do that that we can with the scriptures recognize that things on planet earth are not what they should be. Uh, that things in our own heart and our own life and our own family sometimes are, are not what they should be. Um, that we are now living in a time of grief. Um, but I want you to remember the promise here from John 16, the promise that Jesus says, so also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. I hope you believe that church. I hope during this time of, of weirdness in our lives and a time where it seems like the whole world is sort of uh, going to hell in a handbasket uh, at the time of suffering, your individual personal suffering, uh, personal loss that, that you remember that Jesus promises that he's going to bring such joy and such delight and such fullness and consummation and satisfaction into our lives. He's going to transfer, tra transform all the sorrow and all the brokenness into this unbelievable joy one day. And so I just pray that we, we would rest in that. Uh, again, and I encourage you to meditate on this promise to to preach this to yourself as you move through life and just encourage one another that because of Christ, because of Jesus and his conquering of death and his conquering of sin, we always win. We always win. Let's pray.